listening to Love the Links Golf Radio with your hosts, Brenton Elliott and Bob Baldessari. of the links radio uh we're, we're doing something a little different today i was a guest on this our guest show uh a couple days ago and that that'll be coming out on monday but i'd like to welcome brian and draco uh a friend from the past who we reconnected here recently uh very unique background uh and actually, you know, when we talked last week, Brian, I, I kind of refreshed your memory. Maybe you didn't even know, but we are pretty much from the same neck of the woods up in upstate New York. Yeah, it's a, that's a great area up there. Some good, uh, some good undulating golf courses and uh, <laughs> crisp weather during the spring and fall. So, yeah, the, uh, we both have similar memories, I think, of uh, high school golf. And no grainy greens where you just know where the putts are going to go. I mean, oh my God! The bent, I miss the bent grass. I so miss it. You you get it every once in a while, but even I notice a lot of uh, courses down here. You know, I live in North Carolina, have changed over to more like the uh, you know the Tiff Bermuda or whatever. So like they're they're actually some of those private clubs that use bent for a lot of years have actually switched over. So yeah, don't really get to play on it too much anymore. No, no. Any so so you're from upstate New York. You uh you went to Methodist. You're a Methodist grad in the PGM program. I know right. a lot a lot of guys I know that kid that came out of that program. Uh, and then from there you you know you had your PGA status and and you worked for how how long did you work in the, in the golf business as a PGA member? I mean, technically, I had my membership for about nine years, yeah. um, eight, eight years, I guess. Um, I started. It's always interesting because. And, and every, a lot of people listening in, maybe that are PJ professionals or in the industry, you know, technically you're working before you get your membership, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, I did internships all through college. I actually started teaching prior to get my membership. And, uh, and so I got my membership, I think technically in right around the turn of 06 to 07. Okay. Um, I was a lay, I, I'll, I'll be, I'll be very honest. I failed level three checkpoint the first time I took it. So I failed um, level one. So don't, don't feel bad about that. <laughs> yeah. But that just goes back to that's, that's a whole lesson of not studying oh, yeah. Um, yeah. properly. So anyway, so yeah, I, I, I had to take level three over again. So um, I think I got it. Yeah. I think it was right around 07 or something where I just got, I got my PGA membership and, and then got my, you know, PGA, the, they're certified um, as an instructor, I think like maybe two, two or three years later. Yeah. So you, so you did the, you went the traditional route. I was looking at your, uh, your background on LinkedIn and you were assistant pro and instructor. And then, and then you kind of shifted a little bit there where you actually went into ownership is uh, a golf, you opened your own golf management company. Yeah. So I decided, you know, it's interesting. I had, so I had taught for a couple of years and I didn't really know what I want to do. All I really knew was I loved helping people. Mm -hmm. I love teaching. I love kind of being that, what I kind of call that first line of defense of, especially for younger players, 
Um, this is where I think you and I have a lot of alignment, right? Just people that I wanted to impact their game, especially, I mean, I work with a lot of juniors, a lot of like um, women that were coming in the game and stuff like that. And I saw, I had this, I mean, it was really an opportunity is there was the owner of the driving range I was at. He had another range locally and it's actually closer to my house, that range. And hadn't, it hadn't done well. They hadn't up kept it. He was more just kind of, he was hoping to pay the taxes on, I think each year, it, you know, kind of keeping it open. And I approached him as well, as well as another friend of mine that was in the area that went to Methodist and he was up in the Raleigh area. And we approached him and said, listen, we'll take it over for you and, uh, and we'll run it. So we did that. So we set up a, an S corp, we set up it and, and actually had a, had a vision for a little while to, get multiple ranges under our belt or multiple facilities. And I think at one point we had, it was probably, it was two, maybe I, I'm trying to think if we had, no, I don't think we ended up making that agreement. So at one point we had two locally, one was a whole club repair operation we did. And then the other was running this, this practice facility. Um, and that was great. I mean, I remember the first year, like we quadrupled his revenue that next year that we took it over. And that was, it was really good because it taught me a lot about, God, just stuff around just organizational processes, like managing hours and marketing stuff that I kind of thought I knew, but I really had to go deep down into it. So that was a great experience for a few years to do that. Um, and so, you know, cutting to the chase, unfortunately what happened is kind of with that owner, he never, he didn't want to relinquish ownership of it. We wanted to lease it. Like I wanted to give, I wanted to do like a five or 10 year lease and lease the whole thing so that I can actually do it. But I was so handcuffed that it just didn't make sense. I'm like, I can't just keep working here for like a management fee. I need to actually have the full range. I'll pay you. And I thought we had something that was very fair on the table. And then he pulled back last minute. So it was just, I, I just decided to, after that point, I'm like, I gotta, you know, I gotta move on from this. Yeah. And, and what's interesting to me about you and your background, there's a lot of guys like you that, that were in the industry and, and wore a couple different hats like a lot of golf pros do, um, and then got out of the industry for, for whatever reason. There's numerous reasons. It's, it's not the easiest business in the world. Uh, you, you and I can both agree on that. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts, uh, and there's a lot of situations where when you're working in a management role, like you're talking about, working with owners that may not necessarily understand the golf business, they may understand business, but our industry is a lot different. There's a lot of different moving parts. So um, what, what really interests me and some of the questions I wanted to ask you is now that you're not in that world as a professional anymore, mm -hmm. I think you have a very unique perspective on being that you were in that world and now you're not and you're more of a recreational golfer. That's right. What what I mean, you're seeing it through a different lens. So so, what are some of your feelings on the state of the game? And and let's take this COVID nineteen situation out of everything. What was this? What was your opinions on the state of the game up until this recent lockdown and, and crisis that we're in? Well, let me try to take it on a few different angles, and we'll kind of see where we land. You know, I think from a you know, I think we always look at the game from a recreational level, and then you look at it from a professional, like what's the tour, what's going on. Um, from a recreational level, I think, I mean, I think the game has been in trouble for a while. Um, I think, listen, you have your core people that are not gonna, you know, as long as I can physically play, I'm going to find 
time to play a half a dozen or a dozen times a year minimum, right? I just love getting out. I love competing against myself, against the course. Um, so you're going to have that core group of people. That's never going to leave, right? It's how do you inject new people into the game and keep them into the game? I think the PJ has done a good job as well as some others of entering in junior golfers. Like I love that the drive chip and putt came back a few years ago. Like, I think that's incredible. It's just such a, a cool thing. Like I was actually talking, you know, I, don't, I have an almost eight year old and I, was t- I actually signed him up to do a qualifier in June. Obviously he got canceled this whole year and stuff, but yeah. um, that was going to be his first attempt at it. And so I, I, I mean, I'm hopeful maybe I'm just, you know, kind of like the hopeless romantic type. Like I'm hopeful that the game is going to live on and, and go forward. Um, and there'll be a lot of younger players that decide that, Hey, I want to actually take this up versus playing other sports. Um, so I think there's an opportunity. I think we have been in a lull period for a little while now. And especially with COVID stuff, like, I mean, there's a lot of golf courses that are going to close, unfortunately, it's going to be bad for, for a little while. So I don't know too much, I guess, from that front, but, uh, but anyways, I think there's, there's some challenges ahead. But I think if we continue to keep investing in the young players, we might maybe have an uptick over the next handful of years, five, 10 years, et cetera. You know, from the professional level, I mean, no one can, no one can uh, argue that, you know, Tiger coming back has, has been phenomenal for the game, right? Because I, there were, there were, I would, and by the way, I'm one of those, just so everyone knows, like I'm one of those that I love watching and I don't have the time as much anymore, but I like watching on a Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of these events I've watched for, you know, I've been really, if you think about it, active in the game, probably since I remember probably one of the first tournaments I remember watching was when Crenshaw won the masters in 95. Yeah. Um, and, and that's when I just kind of started the game. You know, I started playing when I was 11. So I, I, I was about 11, 11 and a half at that time. Um, so that was my first member. So it's been, you know, what, what is that? 25 years, right. Of watching the game. And then obviously, you know, I remember one of the, one of the first ones after that was watching Tiger win the, uh, the USAM in 96. Yep. And, and then I got to meet him and stuff at the BC open, like my third, the third event he played on tour in uh, in 96 so like that span all of a sudden like I just you know and, and obviously I've been a, a big Tiger fan I don't mind admitting that because I, I think he's done phenomenal for the game despite his off-field transgressions so I, don't, I don't agree with all those but he's done tremendous stuff for the game so I think you know you look at the last handful of years it was in a lull period absolutely right I I would only watch like some of the bigger events Yep. you know, in, in, and on the weekends and stuff. Cause I'm like, not that it's boring. I mean, there's some tremendous talent out there. It's deep, Oh yeah. but when you don't have that, the singular kind of dominant force, I think sometimes things get lost. So I think it's been great now with these the younger kids um, as they, as they call them. And then you have tiger in there and even not even tiger Phil's still playing well. Right. Yeah. You know, Adam Scott's had a little resurgence, you know, so you, so some of these guys that are in their right around 40, early forties, obviously Phil will be 50. Uh, or I think he maybe, did he just turn 50? Uh, I can't remember, but he's right, right about. Yeah. But I think the, you know, so I, I think the game from a professional level is in, level is in a unique spot. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll have a good run over the next few years, especially with some of these, you know, kind of a mix of generations. So. Yeah, and you, you keep giving me more good questions to ask you. But let's, 
I want to backtrack a little bit to some of the things that you did when you were working in the industry. So some of the bright spots that we've had over the course of the last 10 years or so, as far as different demographics within golf, have been women. The, the number of women playing has, has risen uh, substantially over the last few years and juniors. And, and I think it goes to show if we as a collective group, meaning we golf professionals, really put our minds to putting some good programming out there, not just national initiatives, but on the local level, we can have success. You had mentioned drive, chip, and putt. PJ Junior League has been fantastic. But you actually came up with something uh, in, the, in the demographic with women. Uh, was it, what is it called, bling? Bling, yeah, business ladies in golf. Um, I still think that's such a cool name. I, yeah, I do too. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I came up with it. It just happened to. But um, the this was back. Yeah, we did this. Um, oh my gosh, that was probably oh nine, two thousand ten maybe. And um, and it stemmed. You know, it stemmed out of that was one of the things when I ran the driving range. So I, I took over that range in the end of oh eight. And I had done, or I had done um, women's clinics when I was at the other driving range, you know, like oh, end of 06, 07, um, <clears throat> and part of 08, and had built up a little kind of, you know, fun group of, of probably the same, you know, probably 10 to 15 women that would come and stuff. And then they would invite some friends. So anyways, long story short, I, there was a, a, a woman that came a lot and, and her and I kept talking a lot. And she, you know, she was mentioning some of the, the gaps that she saw of wanting, you know, more women in. And I, and, you know, and I, and I felt the same way. So we kind of came together. She was helpful in kind of starting this. I wish I, if I, if I had kept in it, like, obviously if I was still in the industry, I mean, I think bowling had a massive thing around this area. Um, Cause I, I think there was some momentum behind it. You know, that was one of the things when I left that I missed was like, because you had a lot of these women that, you know, they work hard during the day, right. They might have kids at home. They, they want to get out and be active and do some stuff. And a lot of them liked playing and enjoyed the game and enjoyed learning, but they also enjoyed socializing. Like it's a, it's different than men sometimes, right? Sometimes men is always like, we go out and just want to compete and, you know, not that women don't want to, but I think it was a different atmosphere. And I, and I enjoyed giving that opportunity to them because, you know, different than juniors, as you know, obviously you work with a lot of the juniors and stuff, you know, women want to play the game, but they feel, you know, what I heard all the time, and maybe this has changed in the last 10 years, but very intimidated to go out, you know, by themselves to a golf course because yes. it is kind of male dominated. Yep. Like, you know, plus if they're not that good of a player, they, they, they feel like they can't, um, you know, can't get out there and, and keep up with play. So, you know, we injected a lot of stuff. We did like, you know, captain and, and crew type, you know, the hit and giggles, um, as you might call them, right. You know, kind of did some of those so that, or, or we did certain games where like, you know, one person hits one and the next person, you know, there, there's some different things where we set up and make it fun. You know, we had wine out there. Like we had a good time. It was, yeah. uh, it was fun. But, um, but yeah, it's, I, I've always, I've always been a big backer of having more women playing the game. Um, I, I just think it's a tremendous opportunity. And, and I think for people listening in that have young daughters, it is so tremendous to get them involved. Not that they have to get college scholarships, although there's a lot of unused, you know, women's college golf scholarships out there. Um, I just think getting them involved in the game, it's going to help them in business. It's going to help them in their career down the road. It's just another way to get out there and, and think a little bit differently because when you are competing, when you are out there against, against you know, maybe, maybe other women or, or males or whoever, I think it's just a, a different way of uh, 
looking at the world, I guess. I mean, I think golf is one of those unique things, as you know, it's such a mental struggle from shot to shot. I just think, I, th- I think it's helped me prepare for a lot of things almost subconsciously. Right. But yeah. anyways, that, that a little tangent there as I normally do, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this brings me to my next thing. And I, I found a new appreciation for your off golf course type of facilities in the last, actually the last few months. I, I started teaching uh, in addition to the golf course I teach at, I started teaching at a range uh, a standalone range, which we don't see a lot of those anymore. So you have appreciation for this is, you know, managing and, and, and being part of range facilities. I think those, obviously your top golfs and, and off golf course, more entertainment based. I think there's really an important role that these facilities play in the future of the game. And obviously golf, the game, by the standards traditionalist set isn't a top golf, isn't a standalone range. The, the range I teach at has Top Tracer, which is a, the technology from Top Golf. But I see such an easy entry point for people from an entertainment and enjoying the game standpoint. And then from there, we can really drill down to getting them to move from those types of facilities onto the golf course. So, so how do you feel about the role of those types of facilities, standalone ranges, your, your simulator type facilities, your top golfs? I mean, I think they all help, you know, getting people into the game, right? You go out there for a corporate outing and you're kind of just whacking the ball around and stuff. So I think it's good. I mean, one of the things though, that is still going to be a challenge if, if, if you want to grow the game of the actual game of golf is, getting those people to decide that they want to buy their own set of clubs or they want to go play a couple rounds on a real golf course or those type of things. They're going to go to a destination and and play golf. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the big challenge lies is you can get folks out every once in a while to these things and top golf has done very well. And we have drive shack in here, you know, one of the competitors in in carry. So, you know, you, you have different of these facilities and yeah, the indoor simulators and stuff. Again, my, my always concern is because I don't know enough about it probably just because I haven't researched it enough, but my concern would be how, how much do those folks flip over to being more um, recurring, if you will, on, on the course, getting lessons, stuff like that. So that's the thing as you start shrinking the pool, this this is what we saw with, um, and and I I mean, I left the industry for a different reason, but why a lot of people left the industry or whatever, because you look at once the tiger era took a pause, right, mm-hmm. right around the turn of last decade, what did we see happen? Golf courses go under. We sure. saw yeah. uh, golf companies go under or lose a lot of revenue share. We saw a lot of these, a lot of the, uh, you know, management companies buying up golf courses and they would, they would have, you know, less experienced, you know, professionals, people that had been there for a while built up. Well, I don't want to pay them the higher salary. So we're going to, get rid of them. Like there was a lot of shift because you start shrinking of the amount of people that are playing. So that's the thing is it's one thing getting people knowing about golf. It's another though, getting them to say, Hey, you know, I'm going to go play and get on the golf course for four, four and a half hours, um, you know, or play nine holes or whatever. So I think that's, that's where the game, the, you know, the, the, the professionals like yourself, the PGA professionals and others have to get even more creative of how do we get these folks to interact a little bit more? Because if you go to Top Golf, you're not bringing your own set of clubs, most likely. So you're just using theirs. You're not buying golf balls. Um, 
you know, even if you go to indoor simulator place, I guess, you know, you could be, your chances are you probably at least play a little bit. So again, will those sustain, especially um, in areas that have golf courses that have, se you know, seasons are maybe run longer because you don't, like for instance, this is going a little long, but like in Raleigh here, we generally have a couple snow snowstorms per year. Mm -hmm. Like they're more ice storms really. Yeah. But this year we had one and the stuff lasted for three or four days. So you could play, like I played three, because I, I took off work and stuff like that over the holidays. Like I played three rounds of golf in four days, right around the new year. Um, you generally, some, some years you don't get that. So if the weather doesn't cooperate, yes. unfortunately some of those indoor places may not do as well. So that's what's tough about, you know, obviously an outdoor game, the seasonality of it. Because it can go the other way, too, is courses are closed because it snows all winter when you expect sometimes it to be open. So that's another challenge, but we don't have to get into that. Well, I'm, I'm going to pivot because you had mentioned that you about you getting out of the business. And then I'll come back towards the end of the interview and talk about your, your uh, children's book that, that I read through. And I was really impressed with that, being someone that's a father like you and a lover of... Uh, of the game as far as kids go yep. but let's let's get back to the move from coming out of the golf business um i was on your linkedin and you have a quote at the top of your linkedin profile that says stay hungry stay foolish yeah let's let, let's talk about that yeah i mean that i you know i'm a big quote guy yeah that's you know I, I i like quotes i like looking at various things and kind of getting inspiration from them. I mean, that's one that, you know, I actually heard, you know, Steve Jobs did a um, commencement speech at Stanford in 2005 and he referenced, you know, the whole earth catalog, I think it was called um, that, you know, used to come out, this is in the 60s, 70s or whatever. But anyways, that was, that was the last issue had stay hungry, stay foolish. So when he talked about that and, and he kind of gained some context around it, I took it, you know, in my own way, of that's just try to how I've tried to live my life, especially the last 10 years at least, yeah. um, is really just around always trying to look for that next adventure, always try to look for that next challenge, always look to push myself forward. But the stay foolish part is really what has been the most impactful where I think a lot of folks get lost is keeping that imagination, not, not worrying so much if I fail, but learning from it, you know, like trying things, tasting things, trying to experience stuff and not just be so, you know, like settled and comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's why, that's why that quote stays, uh, you know, like on my LinkedIn page and, I, and probably one of my favorites is just, it's simple and, uh, and, it, and it really has a good message there. So yeah, stay hungry, stay foolish. Um, well, I'm gonna hit you with another one. So I was on your website uh, looking at your bio and you talked about this Renaissance period that you, that you kind of went through. And, sure. and that struck me as something interesting too, because I kind of feel like, like that's something I've been going through the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So my question for you is I, and you and I can both agree on this. There's far too many people out there that are every day getting in that hamster wheel and going around and going around and going around and doing what they feel like they need to do to be productive, to provide for their family. Mm -hmm. But so many, so few people jump out of that hamster wheel and really follow what they're passionate about and explore different things and try to educate themselves and, and take a different path. Yes, it's a difficult thing, but what are some suggestions that you may have since you've kind of gone through this 
on trying to find whether from it's from a business standpoint or a personal standpoint or both finding that path for us as individuals well well for, it's actually funny i was just talking to a friend about this last night you know i, I think most folks and I, I was and I, I was in this by the way and this is not judging this is not standing on the soapbox this is just a general you know kind of feeling i think most folks trade happiness for comfort yes and I really feel that. I feel that in, instead of, and we hear the get outside your comfort zone, right, kind of thing. Instead of getting really uncomfortable with, you know, kind of saying, ah, that's, that's a, I don't know if I want to do that or not. I don't know if I want to try that. They would rather give up a little bit. It's almost like giving up a little freedom, right, for the security type thing. Like you, you give up happiness because you don't want to actually take the chance and fail and you know, maybe how people perceive and look at you and stuff like that. So I think there's two big things up front that I've learned. And this is just me talking, right? Other people might have different opinions on it. I think the two big things, one is, uh, I call it my North Star, is I've stopped putting flags in the ground five, 10 years out, you know, like, you know, I always use the example of in 10 years, I'm going to be the CEO of this company. You know, I stopped doing that. Because I think one that leads to failure, a ton of it that you really don't need. Um, and two, it's a, you get discouraged because it's so far in the distance. You're like, oh my God. So I call it my North Star because everyone knows what the North Star is, right? When you look at it, you try to follow it, you're never going to reach it. But, and this kind of goes to something when you, know, you were talking about your mission when you're on my Just Get Started podcast. and I, I agree fully with that is this North star. If you can know your mission and you can figure out how you want to make an impact on the world, how you want to live. Now you can at least make decisions to move in that direction. Yeah. So I'll give you an example, right? Like for me, you know, my North star is I want to impact the next generation um, or next generations even um, of, of earth, right. Of this world. And I want to do it in a way from the angle of health and wellness and really getting people to, um, think a little bit differently, right. Almost, um, almost find their purpose earlier in life versus how long it took me. Um, so almost that self-discovery, I guess, as I call it. So that's mine. So how it helps is, I can make decisions, whether it's the podcast or books or making a choice to be on this podcast, right? How, did, how does it help get the message out or maybe can impact one person, stuff like that? I think you can make better decisions when you know your North Star. When you don't know it and you're going around the hamster wheel, as you said, I think you make a lot of short-sighted decisions that ultimately don't lead to the happiness and the fulfillment down the road. Yeah. So there's safety. It's a safe move. Well, and, and also you don't put, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of thing like a lot, like a lot of folks struggle with fitness as an example, right? Because you're not thinking of where do I want to go down the road again, not the flag in the ground, but just where do I want to go? How do I want my life to flow wherever it happens to go? Well, I need to get my button gear maybe now and put the slow motion in play versus Oh my gosh. Like as an example, you know, if I say, Hey, I want to lose 50 pounds, right? Losing 50 pounds is hard work. That's a lot of stuff to do. So when you look at that in that context, it's like, 
geez. But you can also look at it as, you know what? I'm going to go walk around the block every day for the next seven days. <coughs> That's it. And I'm going to maybe switch out this food and start doing this, you know, or I'm going to go to bed at a, a reasonable time consistently for the next few days, like small little wins ultimately add up. But again, when you have your kind of North star where you want to go in the world, a lot of those decisions start making, cause it's like, well, I have to get in better shape. Again, I'm not, I don't know what people's are. Everyone's going to be different, but like, maybe I have to get in better shape so that I could do this, or maybe I have to start investing more time in, um, learning about marketing so I can help this nonprofit do X. Like, I don't know what, again, every, everything could be different, right? Everyone wants to make a different impact on the world, but that's, that's my, uh, that's the way I look at it is I think if you have a more clear vision, so you know, you, you ask kind of more actionable, right? And I know I'm talking around some things. I think the biggest thing is to sit and think about who you are away from people, put your phone down, right? Close your eyes and actually think about it. A lot of it can be mapped back to your childhood. Mm -hmm. I'm a sure. lot of it can yeah. be mapped, mapped, mapped. And this is a deeper thing than just you and I talking today, like what people can do. But I'd, I, you know, the two quick things is one, go think about your childhood. Think about, you know, I always like to, to say, think about what made you happy as a kid. When do you remember your, your most happy? And what were you doing? And then secondly, like looking at now, what, what do you, what gets you up, you know, the kind of what gets you up in the morning? What do you like to do when you are excited and try maybe meshing those together, you might find a, a central purpose or a theme. Um, but I think most people, because I'm, I was most people um, a while back is don't have the self-awareness and that term gets thrown around so much self-awareness, but I think mo most people don't actually sit in thought to get to the self-awareness. And it's not just about being self-aware, it's about taking actions on that to change and to be better, right? Yeah. You can be self-aware all the time about, I need to do this, but it's actually going out and doing it. So it, you, I think that's part of it. Sit in thought, but then also actually execute on some things. And it's gonna take a while, but you have to put the, the wheels in motion um, to be able to make that change in your life, so. Yeah, the execution part is hard for a lot of people because uh, there's there's this term fear that creeps in all the time. And I know you've touched on that quite a bit as I was looking, you know, at, at your background. Fear is so crippling to, to having people go through this type of exercise where they look at what they want to do, where they want to be, uh, and, and actually do it. So that's one component in my opinion but another thing is this instant gratification that we're just all guilty of falling into from time to time i think that's just because of the way of the world the way it is everything's so instant fast and i and i i'm afraid for for my kids um you know because because of that um it's just it's just something that that scares the crap out of me to be honest with you that everything is so instant where you can't take that moment like you're saying to sit back and really think about things and and, and look at a pathway that might be a little bit different because the fear creeps in i mean the fear is a real thing and absolutely i mean it took it was right it took me two years to finally start my podcast yeah um and it, and it took me a while to do a lot of things 
And it's why it took me, you know, six, seven years to write this children's book. You know, there, there's a lot of things that, again, we're, you and I are just like everyone else listening in, right? We, we of course have fears. We have uncertainties. We have a lot of the stuff. I, you know, I, the big thing I like, I think Gary Vee's the one that probably said this the first is like, what's the alternative? You know, what, what's the alternative, right? We're, I, I, this is kind of, so this is a little morbid, but this is how I think. I think about mortality a lot. Mm-hmm. I think about dying right? That's actually what probably motivates me the most is that I can't sit here and say, well, I got time because, you know, I'll, I'll be around for 40, 50 years, you know, like, no. And you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, right? We don't know what's going to happen in a year or two or five years. So why wouldn't I try to do things that make me so fulfilled, right. that make me impact the world in a positive way? I'm so big around, you know, positive, uh, positivity, gratitude, those type of things. That, that's been a backbone really of this whole renaissance period, as I call it. So, I mean, I think that's the thing is like, I can't tell people when or where to overcome the fear, right? I mean, you can have coaches and stuff. And, and, and I mean, I think the support systems are important. If you're around the right people, that's going to help you. That's a huge thing. A lot of it is looking in the mirror, you know, that accountability mirror um, every single day in the morning when you walk in the bathroom, you know, look in the mirror and are you happy with yourself? And if you're not, you can make the change. It's not, you don't need to go to, you know, college and get an MBA or you have to do, you know, something, you know, dramatic. You literally can make the change yourself. It yeah. is all, it, it's, I dumb it down. It's so funny. That I was talking about was my friend last night. I was talking with like, I, I don't have a great vocabulary. Maybe it's why I relate to like the kids in the younger generation. Maybe it's, I'm on the same level of that vocabulary wise, but like, um, I, I just dumb it down and that's just par- partly how I am. Like I try to simplify, I use very simple analogies. Like it is so simple. It really is. It's all it is, is making a choice. You either have one or the other. That's it. There's only two choices. Like, Hey, do I get up in the morning or do I hit the snooze alarm? Right. Like that type of thing. Do I choose to eat this for dinner or that for dinner? When you really, I think most of us as humans, we don't want to think it's that simple. We got to think, oh, I got to take this course or I got to sign up for this year long thing. No, no, no. It's, it's literally one choice after another. And, and slowly when you put those in play. So I know this from my own experience. Because I was the complainer. I was the, ah, it's, I got a bad, you know, I got a bad set of, you know, hand or if you will on some of these things. Like, ah, I should. And then I realized like, dude, are you serious? Like you're one of the luckiest people in this world. And once I woke up and realized that, and it took a little while, I was able to take those steps forward. And, and what happened was like the momentum kept building, right? Yep. I kept seeing it day after day. And week after week, and all of a sudden, I put that time and energy in. And now I look back, you know, I look back at where I am today, and I'm still very early in the game, I feel, you know, but I look back like five years where I was, I was a totally different person five years ago. My confidence level, things I had accomplished, projects I was working on, different friends I have, like so many things have changed. And that's what I encourage most people to look at is like, take again, go, go back five years, say. Has your life changed that much? I'm not talking about, do you have a different job or not? Are you doing about the same things? Do you do the same things on the weekend? Do you hang out with the same friends? Do you have certain, are you still, you know, 
um, curious about the same things because have you not like researched to actually figure out how they are? Those type of things that like, that was helpful for me to realize if I'm moving ahead or not. And if your answer is, yeah, I'm doing about the same stuff, well, then you're in that comfort zone. You're not expanding. You're not trying things, right? So that's why I think people can, you know, maybe can the biggest takeaway is just get out and taste and try things. Like, like for instance, if you're, um, well, this is tough now with our situation we're in, but this is an example. Um, if you have trouble standing up in meetings or talking with people and you're very shy and introverted, then go take an improv class. Most of the time you'd never do that. You'd be like, I'm not doing that, but go do it. What's the worst that happens? Yep. A couple of people laugh in the audience, kept whatever, but everyone's there like in the same boat. Like, so that's like an example of, I tried something different. I did a different experience that I never thought was possible. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot of people that, they do that after uh, whether it's a class they're taking or a seminar where they go, God, I wish I had had the courage to say this or do that. And, yeah. and I think, I think, you know, with a hundred plus episodes uh, behind you now with your podcast, just get started. I mean, just the name of the podcast right there kinds of sums up that this whole idea of uh, if there's something you want to do, uh, or there's something you want to learn, you just got to do it. Yeah. And, and as I, I'm actually on this, um, we don't have to get into too much, but like I'm on this path this year. So I had done something called the dozen months of discovery okay. where I decided this year and I actually tried this two years ago. And I, and I, partially I didn't probably frame it properly or there was a few different things where I kind of failed miserably on doing it. So had an, a different opportunity last fall. I said, you know, I'm doing this dozen months of discovery again. And basically it's simple. It's every month I'm doing a different challenge or a different skill or something like that. So for instance, January was, I deleted all my social media apps and did a detox of social media. February, I did um, an hour minimum of stretching every single day because I, that was part for me from a fitness standpoint. I need to not only get in better shape. I mean, I think I've been in good shape, especially doing CrossFit and stuff. But like my, when I say good shape, I mean like being able to perform the movements, yeah. you know, not, you know, you know, crack my uh, knees and stuff when I get out of bed, stuff like that. You know, March I just finished up was a, um, was a uh, learning Spanish. Mm. And, and then April here is, uh, I, I'm writing a book, another book. Um, so I, I challenge myself because what, again, what I want to do is instead of talking it, which I probably did a lot in the past and you see a lot of other people. I wanted to experience it so I could relate like, again, to you or your audience and say, listen, if you can't do it for a long time, then carve out 30 days. Heck, just carve out a week. Yeah. Like, again, if your back's hurting, the next seven days, go stretch for an hour. I promise you, you will feel better. Or stretch for 20 minutes if you can get, like, you know, if you like to watch Netflix at night, great. Get on the ground and stretch while you're watching it versus sitting on the couch. Like there's things you can do. But the reason why I wanted to do the dozen months of discovery is I wanted to keep challenging myself of like, what, like, like for Spanish as an example, the reason I picked that, it's not so much to be fluent in Spanish and I'll keep probably practicing and stuff, but it was really more of one, can I dedicate myself to this? And two, can I be, can, this is going to sound weird, but like, can I be stupid again? <laughs> can I not, can I like be that person that knows nothing? Like I knew nothing about Spanish besides, you know, 
like you know maybe knowing a couple of the the numbers the you know the the single digit numbers that's it so i wanted to go in like being so confused and disoriented and like what that's interesting that's odd you know how do i do i wanted to be that beginner learner again so i know how it feels yeah yep. um, not just not just for me personally to help with my mindset but also like in my sales career and stuff like that like it helps me like communicate with people better because I realize, oh, maybe they don't know on that. And I might know a lot of stuff, but they might not know it. So anyways, that's a great example of like trying, tasting, seeing what you like. Um, and, and we're in such, this is such a terrible time in our world. But if, again, I'm a positive guy, I think it's one of the best times because you may have, you maybe don't commute for an hour now a day to work. Well, now you have a little extra time. Maybe go pick up a new podcast and listen to a couple episodes. Maybe um, go download an audio book, right? There's so many free, I think like Harvard and Yale are giving like free online classes mm -hmm. for anyone that wants to like go sign up for something, learn something that you've been wanting to um, learn maybe the last handful of years and you haven't had the time. Well, now you have the time. Yeah. And that's, that's actually something I've done the last month being, you know, having to stay at home as much as possible. I've done a lot of certifications for, for golf and, um, I want to pivot to my last question here. Luke's first round of golf. Again, me as a father, you as, you as a father, your son's what, eight, you said? He'll be eight in a couple months, yep. Um, writing a children's book, that's, that's quite, uh, quite a task. I'm sure a lot of people have had, had that thought of wanting to write a book. You've actually got another book, an e-book about uh, podcasting. Um, but, but you and I reconnected, as I said, at the start of the show uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, in relation to this, this book, Luke's first round of golf. Mm -hmm. So obviously I know what the motivation is there. Uh, as I read it, it really brought me back is, is someone that works in the industry, but above and beyond everything else, someone that started golf young, it brought me back to, to those moments of my first round, uh, first rounds out on the golf course with my dad and my grandfather. Uh, so why don't you talk a little bit about the, the book? Yeah, I mean, well, first, this goes back to really our discussion. Um, and hopefully, hopefully folks listening are getting some, some value out of it or whatever. Um, you know, I wrote this book in 2012. I started writing it. You know, here we are in 2020. Yeah. And I think the, that's a powerful story, hopefully, for everyone, because it's a true testament of, overcoming your fear. I had no self-confidence. I did not have a good support system around me. Um, I didn't feel I was worthy enough. I just did it because I actually used to, I'm a big, like, so I like a lot of, I like rap and hip hop music. Yeah. You know, Eminem's probably my favorite rapper of all time. And, you mm -hmm. know, guys like that, Nas, Tupac, stuff like that. So yeah. I love like, so book, I may write like a long form book in, in the future, but I actually love write, writing like rhyming books. Um, I don't know why. I always love those. I always love Dr. Seuss type stuff. So as my son was about to be born and was born, I, I was thinking about, man, it's going to be so cool when I get to play golf with him and he, you know, get him involved in the game. So I just started to jot down. I probably wrote like 50, 60% of it back in 2012. Oh, and wow. then I shelved it. Then I shelved it because 
I, I'm like, what do I think I'm doing writing a children's book? <laughs> I'm not going to yep. write a children's book. Like I'm not, I almost, I barely passed English in high school. Like get out of here, dude, because I was so negative. The words I used to say to myself were so negative. I used to put myself down so much that I wasn't good enough that I couldn't do anything. And then as I slowly got out of that, and, it, and I'm not saying it's a quick process, it took many years. But as I slowly got out of it and got the confidence, and again, I started the podcast, I started doing some other projects, I started to get my own voice, if you will, in the world. And I had a clear mission on what I wanted to do. I, I, I kind of came across, not came across the book. I mean, it's always been in the back of my mind here and there, but I really kind of came across it again. I said, it was last year and I said, screw this, I'm publishing this thing. So I finished writing it, um, kind of fault by fall time or whatever. I've tweaked it here and there since then, but, and I've been working with an, I had one illustrator that, um, uh, and then I changed to another one and we're actually finishing some stuff up as we speak. So I, Hopefully it'll be out here in May of 2020 is kind of the goal. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's cool. I've been, I've looked at some illustrations uh, that he's done recently. The cover looks sweet. Like it looks really good. He, he's a phenomenal, um, he's a phenomenal illustrator. So I, yeah, I'm excited. So anyways, that was part, that was, that, that's a little long winded, but yeah, that was part of it is like that fear of overcoming, um, you know, what people would say or like, you know, how they would react. And, and, and once I got over that, it was like, boom, now we can yeah. go ahead and actually publish this. So that was part of it. And again, obviously just, you know, having my son be a part of it, you know, um, and, and actually he played his first round of golf last year nice. on his own ball played, we played, you know, there's a par three, a 27 hole par three course in the, uh, in the area here in Cary, which is cool. So yeah, he went out, played his own ball chip putted everything himself last year so it's kind of cool how it kind of came to fruition that him playing his first round um so really neat yeah i, I i'm excited about it um you know it'll be i'm, I'm doing self-publishing through amazon okay um so i'm not you know i'm i'll obviously try to promote and do different stuff and, and get it I, but i think it is i i appreciate you saying that like I'm always nervous about, yeah, how, I think the story is really good. I do. And so I appreciate you kind of backing that up. It's, it's, it's a fun little story. It's not a, a thousand page book, right? It's a normal children's length, you know, children's book length, but I think it'll be good for parents to read with their kids. Um, and I, like I said, I hope, hopefully it gets some, uh, some good reviews on it. So we'll, well see. You've got, you've got my good review. And I, I tell you what, it takes a lot for me. I have Audible. That's how I read books usually. But yep. when you sent me the transcript for this, I'm the kind of guy that sees shiny things, go chase the shiny things. So I don't stick into, and this is a children's book, but there's some length to it. And I read the whole thing through on it. And that takes a lot. So kudos to you for putting something together that I can go through and read the whole thing. And I thought it was brilliant. I'm wishing you a lot of luck with that book. Love the podcast. I love being a, a guest on the podcast the other day. Um, go ahead. Get something. Well, I was just going to say, and, and I failed to mention this, but this goes back. We were talking about the North Star earlier. Mm -hmm. This goes to my mission, right? That's why I, I ultimately would kind of the finish of the book, because it goes to my mission is that I want to try to impact the world in a better way, especially that next generation. Mm -hmm. I feel a book like this, and if you remember reading through, there's a lot of good morals on it. Yeah. It's a lot, and it's a lot, it's a chance too to introduce kids. It's another way potentially 
to introduce kids to the game of golf. Maybe, maybe their dad gets them the book and they read it. And now they see, you know, Luke in there doing certain things and his excitement on his face. And maybe that's like, Ooh, that's kind of cool. Hey, Hey dad, let me, you know, let maybe they go pick up the putter that their dad's been wanting them to use in their living room for the last you know year. And they go pick it up and put like, that's the impact I want to make on it. So I'm hopeful that even if it affects a few kids, right, if they pick it up and they, and they kind of get that excitement that you'll see with Luke um, in the book, you know, maybe, maybe they decide to play the game. So that's what it's about for me. You know, um, you know, I'm just hopefully it, it impacts one kid. I'm sure you'll have a good impact on a lot of people. So Brian, just to wrap things up, where can people connect with you, whether it's through social media, website, uh, this is your final, final uh, few seconds here. So promote yourself, buddy. Well, the credits are rolling. Um, <laughs> I, uh, my website is probably the best. That's where I house, you know, the podcast and obviously the podcast on every, you know, Apple and iHeartRadio and all that. Uh, but brianondraco.com, B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O.com. Uh, um, on Instagram, Twitter, at brianondraco. I'm on LinkedIn, a decent amount. Um, it's just my name, obviously. So yeah, the, 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 the website's a great way of, of the podcast. I have, you know, blog articles. I have obviously the connection with the book and I have, as you mentioned, anyone that wants to start podcasting or thinking about it, I got a free ebook. Literally, you know, I don't even have you put an email in. you literally can just download it. I wrote this called the bootstrappers guide to podcasting. So, uh, but yeah, I, I hope, you know, if people want to check out the podcast, it's called just get started. Um, again, it's on all the platforms. I hope you guys enjoyed and yeah, your episode's coming out um, uh, this week. So uh, hopefully people will appreciate that and, and get to learn a little bit more about you and the great work you're doing. So yeah, man, this has been fun. I, I appreciate you having me on. It's good to, uh, to connect again. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's what I was about to say too. It, it, was, it was cool getting that uh, Facebook Messenger message from you and, and reconnecting and seeing all the stuff that you got going. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, this will be posting pretty soon, probably tomorrow. Uh, Love of the Links Radio, Golf Radio, you can find on Instagram, YouTube, uh, Facebook. Brian, thanks so much. Stay safe, stay healthy, bud. Thanks, Brian. You too. Thanks for listening to Love of the Links Golf Radio. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our website is littlelinksers.com backslash love. You can email us at loveofthelinks at gmail.com.